So I'm actually going to invite you to be seated today because we have a dramatic rendering of the gospel reading for today. You can be seated. Uh, Our 8th and ninth grade Sunday school class recorded a video, a dramatic representation of our reading for today, uh, a story about John the Baptist baptizing people at the Jordan River. Uh, It's uh, artistic, and I will give you a couple hints uh, as the film rolls. The two people who are draped in blue and shaking and moving around, they are the Jordan River. So that's pretty important to know. And the guy in the middle is John the Baptist. And that's, that's how the story goes. Tad's going to run it for us now. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of God, the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for, all, for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Ninth graders for putting that together for us. It was good to have a heads up about the river, right? It was good. Yeah, it took me like a watching or two. Yeah, good. Well, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Tis the season for shopping, right? Shopping for family, for friends, for colleagues, for charitable organizations. And I confess that shopping really isn't my thing. If it weren't for my wife, Jenny, nobody in my family would get Christmas presents ever. Basically, my approach to shopping is that if it can't be bought on Amazon Prime, then it doesn't exist. If I can't buy it from my computer or my phone in the comfort of my own home and have it delivered in two days, it doesn't exist. But uh, the problem with this little shopping philosophy of mine is clothes. Clothes shopping is a problem uh, that the internet hasn't quite solved yet, or at least not solved for me. Um, And of all the shopping out there, probably the thing I hate the most is clothes shopping. But strangely this year, I've actually become a fan of it in a totally unexpected way. I've become a fan of secondhand shopping, shopping at clothing stores like Second Avenue, Impact, Plato's Closet, and I actually enjoy it, perhaps for the first time ever in my life. It's hard to explain. I mean, I go to a regular store with new clothes, and there are like 15 versions of the same thing in every different size, and I'm completely paralyzed. But when I go to a secondhand store, I come alive, searching for that one item, that one diamond in the rough, 
to discover an item that's been given up but has lots of life left in it, an item that has a story to, tw- to tell. Are any of you familiar with this? Are any of you secondhand shoppers? I see some hands in the balcony. Yeah, I see some hands. I see some hands. So I don't know what it is, but there's something about it for me that captures my imagination. And it, perhaps it's just because I'm a storyteller and I love a good backstory, or perhaps I'm even a bit of a hopeless romantic about it. In fact, what I've been wearing today, this morning, mostly comes from secondhand stores. Uh, not the clergy shirts, you can't find those at secondhand stores, or the robes. But the sweater I wore today, my pants, my shoes, all come from secondhand stores. These shoes, which I love, they're worn out on the heels, and so when I walk on hard surfaces, they click. My kids call them dad's high heels, and they're a little scuffed, uh, but they're like my favorite shoes. Um, and so uh, you can find all kinds of interesting things, stories uh, at the secondhand store. And so this Advent, I've been imagining running into John the Baptist at Plato's Closet, which uh, is a hub for teen and young adult hipsters. Um, and you can sort of see, can you imagine John the Baptist as a hipster? He sort of has the, he has the beard and the kind of look about him. Um, and then maybe you could try this one on. Here's with the, gla- the hipster glasses uh, from a meme that a friend of mine posted, uh, the last Advent. Advent, you've probably never heard of it. So I imagine John the Baptist coming into the store, try to get a good deal on a good camel's hair coat or a leather belt, perhaps snacking on high-protein locusts and organic wild honey. He's un- unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals, which are surely also secondhand. And just as an aside, this past week I was at Second Avenue with my wife and daughter, uh, and my daughter Tess, uh, one of my twins, wanted to buy a Phillies jersey. Um, And if you know me, you know I'm a passionate Boston Red Sox fan. And I, we got all the way up to the cash register. I hadn't realized she had gotten it, and we were about to check out, and I looked at her, and I looked at my wife, and I said, I will buy you a Red Sox jersey. Please put that back. (laughs) Which she did. And then I went on eBay and got her a Red Sox jersey secondhand, of course. Well, in any event, um, what's funny to me in the Bible is what seemingly random details uh, get included in Bible stories. So at the beginning of our gospel for today, Mark starts with this earth-shattering announcement, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And six verses later, we're hearing all about clothing, about camel's hair and leather belts, and sandals, and about what John is eating. This is real and earthy stuff. It's what author Mary Carr calls sacred carnality, in which the details give the story life. She says, a great detail feels particular in a way that argues for its truth. A reader can take it in, and the best details have extra poetic meaning. And the Bible is actually great at this. In the Bible, when those details show up, you can be sure that it has a purpose, that it means something. In his book, What is the Bible?, Rob Bell says, when you're reading the Bible and come to a huh part, assume the writer is making a case for something. Trust that this is going somewhere, and always, always keep in mind, the weirder, the stranger, the more unexpected, it's probably intentional. So keep asking, hunting, searching, questioning, assuming that there's more going on here. And that's the case in this reading, too. 
It turns out that John's outfit of camel's hair and a leather belt recalls the clothing of the prophet Elijah. It was kind of part of the prophet's dress code. Now, nowhere in the story does it say that John is a prophet, but the clothing gives it away, a piece of sacred carnality, a hint for the savvy reader. And where we find John today is not at the store, of course, but at the banks of the Jordan River. It says, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was calling people to turn around to God, to repent, and baptizing them as a sign of new life. And people came from all over to hear his message and to be baptized. These were people who knew their need for God. They were the frayed and forgotten, the discarded and downtrodden, the poor and the persecuted. They came to that river in search of redemption. And Advent, above all, is a season for redemption. And here's what John tells them and what God says to us today. He says that God is like a shopper that trolls the racks of a second-hand store, going down the rack item by item. God lifts it off the rack, turns it around to inspect it, and God sees promise and potentiality in it where someone else once saw none. Where the world sees trash, God sees hope and beauty. God sees second chances. Because God loves what the world casts away. God loves the people that the world casts aside. And God knows that he's found a good deal. He's discovered something, in fact, precious and valuable and places it in the cart and takes it home and gives it a place of honor in that home. And God looks on us the same way. While we or the world might see only our frayed edges, our strained seams, our faults and falls and failures, our messes and our mistakes, God sees something more in each of us. God sees the good in us. God sees the hope in us. And that kind of love, accepting and unconditional love, makes all the difference. It's like when someone sees something good in you that you cannot see yourself. You know how that makes you feel? It's like when we realize that we are worthy to be loved even when we don't feel lovable, that we are worthy of praise even when we don't feel praiseworthy. When someone fully and deeply listens to us and we feel understood and known and loved. And it's all the more meaningful because we are secondhand people. For if we have lived these perfect lives, if we were straight off the rack and unbruised and unblemished and unworn, well, it wouldn't be very interesting, would it? It wouldn't make for a very good story. And that's what the people who come out to the river seek. That's what the people in our first reading from Isaiah, the exiles that God is bringing home, seek. And remember, every single character in the Christmas story is a second-hand item. Mary and Joseph, the lowly shepherds, the foreign magi, even the animals in the stable, all of them. But that's who God chooses, 
and chooses to reveal and trust his son with and to spark a message and a mission that will save the world. They and we are the people coming out to the river, hoping for a second chance, hoping to see in ourselves what God sees in us. They and we know what it's like to be broken and abandoned, forgotten and discarded, ignored, diminished, and lost. And that's why the Christmas story is such a great story and why Advent is such a great season. It's the moment of redemption for each of us and for our world when God says, despite everything else, there is life left in us yet. As the psalmist writes in the psalm appointed for this Sunday of Advent, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. Let us prepare the way in our hearts and in our world to receive this gift of love this Christmas. Amen.